One of the ayat that was talking about Ahl al-Kitab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْهُمْ أُمِّيُّونَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا أَمَانِي وَإِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَظُنُّونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And there are among them illiterates who know not the book, but see therein their own desires, and they do nothing but conjecture. This ayah says, that among the people of the book are people who are illiterate, illiterate in, in, in terms of not understanding the book of Allah. Ummiyun. They have the book with them, but they have no clue what the book is talking about. And all what they learn from the book it what fi- it is what fits their worldly interests. So they are selective in what they would learn. If something would Benefit me in dunya, I'm going to learn it, otherwise I'm going to put it aside. They're following doubts and conjecture. So, what does this ayah mean? Let's uh, read what Ibn Taymiyyah says. يقول ابن Taymiyyah عن ابن عباس وقتادة في قوله ومنهم أميون أي غير عارفين بمعاني الكتاب يعلمونها حفظا وقراءة بلا فهم لا يدرون ما فيها وقوله إلا أماني أي تلاوة لا يعلمون فقه الكتاب إنما يقتصرون على ما يتلى عليهم الله أكبر He says Ibn Taymiyyah says that Ibn Abbas and Qatada they interpreted the meaning of the ayah أميون it means that they do not understand the meaning of the book they learn it they memorize it and they recite it without understanding. And they don't know what it's talking about. So Ibn Taymiyyah says, the meaning of the word illiterate here, doesn't mean that they cannot read and write. He says, no, they read the book, they memorize it, and they teach it. But they don't understand what the book is talking about. And then, وَقَوْلُهُ إِلَّا أَمَانِي أَيْ And they're satisfied by reciting it. They just recite the book. And you know, uh, right now in our day and time, uh, you would find that uh, TV stations, radio stations, they would broadcast Qur'an. You would find them broadcasting Qur'an because they know that the people don't understand it and they're not going to follow it. I was even told that uh, the, the, the official radio stations in Israel, they broadcast Qur'an. Let the people hear Qur'an. They're not going to understand it or follow it. So this is a, a problem that exists among us now. Subhanallah, as if it is talking about us. عن الإمام أحمد قال ذكر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم شيئا فقال ذاك عند ذهاب العلم قلنا يا رسول الله كيف يذهب العلم ونحن قرأنا القرآن ونقرئه أبناءنا ونقرئه أبناءنا وأبناءنا يقرئون أبناءهم فقال ثكلتك أمك يا ابن لبيد إن كنت لأراك من أفقه رجل في المدينة أوليس هذه اليهود والنصارى بأيديهم التوراة والإنجيل ولا ينتفعون مما فيهما بشيء الإمام أحمد narrates that رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم said something and then he said ذاك عند ذهاب العلم that would happen when knowledge is lost so رسول الله was talking about something and then he said and that thing will happen when knowledge is lost. One of the Sahaba, his name is Ibn Lubayd, he said, O Messenger of Allah, how can knowledge be lost when we have studied Quran, we're teaching it to our children, and our children are going to teach it to their children. How can knowledge be lost? Because for them, knowledge is Quran. And as long as we have Quran with us, how can it be lost? What did Rasulullah respond by saying? He said, "Thakilatka ummuka ya ibn Lubayd. Woe to you! I thought that you were one of the most knowledgeable men in Medina. Can't you see the Jews and the Christians? They have the Torah and the Gospel with them, and they are not benefiting anything from them." So Rasulullah is telling Ibn Lubayd, "Our neighbors, right here, you can see them. They have a Torah. They have the Gospel." But they're not benefiting from it. So Rasulullah was saying that the time will come when Quran will be with us. 
and we're not benefiting from it. Quran is not to be put on the shelf and to be decorated and covered. In fact, Abu, uh, Abu Darda he says, إِذَا زَوَّقْتُمُ الْمَسَاجِدِ وَزَخْرَفْتُمُ الْمَصَاحِفِ فَالدَّمَارُ عَلَيْكُمْ He said, a time, whenever the time comes when you will decorate your mosques and decorate your mushaf, that is the time when you will be destroyed. Because that's an indication that you are favoring symbols over substance. My mosque looks beautiful. Look at how beautiful the mosque is. And the Quran, it's written by these gold uh, letters and this velvet covering and it's wonderful. And you don't even want to touch it and read it because it looks so good. So you don't even open it to read it. Because it's, it's so expensive and, and wonderful. Beautiful, looks beautiful. Abu Darda says when that happens... You will be destroyed. I mean, at the time of uh, Abu Darda, the uh, Quran for them was written on bones, on leaves, on leather. Quran for them was in a huge sack. That's what that's what Quran was, because it's a it's a collection of bones, leaves, and pieces of leather. If somebody sees it in that fashion, they will say that's disrespect of Quran. They will say you're disrespecting Quran. You're writing it on bones. Because now the issue became respect of Qur'an, but don't touch it, don't read it, and don't follow it. So, we have lost track of what Qur'an should do for us, or what, how, how we should study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. كِتَابٌ أَنزَلْنَاهُ إِلَيْكَ مُبَارَكٌ لِيَدَّبَّرُوا آيَاتِهِ وَلِيَتَذَكَّرَ أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, here is a book which we have sent down unto thee, full of blessings, that they may meditate on its signs, and that men of understanding may receive admonition. Tadabbur. That's the issue. We have to have tadabbur. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبُّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا Don't they contemplate and meditate on the meanings of Qur'an, or are the hearts locked? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not only asking us to recite the book, but he's saying that we have to recite it with meditation and contemplation. We have to have tafakkur. How did the Sahaba radiallahu study Qur'an? If you take the example of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, he says, it took me 14 years to finish memorizing Surah Al-Baqarah. 14 years. I mean, we could memorize Quran now in a year I mean what's how come it took Abdullah bin Amr 14 years to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah and then he was so happy when he finished he said I slaughtered a, 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 a camel and I invited all of the people to come to a feast it was such an important event for him he memorized Surah Al-Baqarah and he made this huge walima a huge invitation and invited all of the people to come over because he memorized Al-Baqarah it was a great day of celebration for him and now we could memorize Qur'an in a few months. How come it took him so long? The reason is, and this was narrated by one of At-Tabi'een, he said, I met with some of the Sahaba of Rasulullah and they told me the way they would study Qur'an is they would take ten ayat. And they would study these ten ayat. They would study the iman, the ilm, and the halal and haram in the ayah, they would memorize the ayat, and then they would move on to the next ten ayat. They would never move on to the next ten ayat until they apply them. Until it becomes alive. Until it becomes a second nature for them. That's when they would move on to the next ten ayat. And this tabi'i, he says, I was told this by many of the Sahaba of Rasulullah, not one. This is their method. Take ten ayat. Study the ayat. Memorize the ayat. Learn the iman in, in them. Because iman in the beginning it is knowledge. In the, in the initial stages of iman it is knowledge. فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Know that there is no God but Allah. No one worthy of worship but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it starts by ilm. And then you have the emotional commitment to it later. You cannot have tasdiq until you have ilm. You cannot believe in something until you know it. So they would learn the iman in it. They would apply the halal and haram. And then they would move on to the next ten ayat.
the late Ghazali, Muhammad Ghazali, he says that I memorized Quran when I was 10 years old. He said I memorized it, the whole book when I was 10 years old. And he was talking about a, a, a problem that we have in our modern method of education when it comes to the teaching of Quran. He said, as a kid, I, I memorized the whole book when I was 10 years old, but I didn't understand anything in it. And then he said, because of that mode I was in, I was in the mode of just reciting without learning and understanding. He said, when I, when I grew up and I was attempting to understand the book of Allah, I was finding it very hard. Because I was programmed to just repeat the verses. He said, it took me a lot of effort and struggle and striving until I was able to break that cycle and start thinking and contemplating about the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to go through this struggle in order to have tadabbur. Uh, maybe one key that will help us, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not throw its gems at you. You have to look for them. The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not offer you the benefit unless you are keen for learning and receiving the guidance. And this is something uh, interesting about the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنُنَزِّلُ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ مَا هُوَ شِفَاءٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا يَزِيدُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا خَسَارًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We reveal in Qur'an what is healing and mercy for the believers, but it only adds to the loss of the oppressors. So Qur'an draws some people closer and it draws some people further. If you want to benefit from Qur'an, Qur'an will benefit you. If you don't, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will honor his book. With the zalimin, it adds to their loss. وَلَا It will make them turn away even further. And this is part of the uniqueness of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we need to have tadabbur of the book of Allah. I'm not saying that we should memorize Surah Al-Baqarah in 14 years. If you have a chance to memorize it in a month, do it. But the point is that after we memorize it, we have to go to the next stage and that is applying it and not just reciting without understanding. Rasulullah talks about Yakunu Nashik. Rasulullah says that there will be a, a, a time when there will be young people who recite Quran it doesn't even go past their throats. They have taken Qur'an as something that is recited. They don't understand it. Uh, they might be doing it for monetary reasons. But then the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not used. So it's used for opening a ceremony and closing a ceremony. And that's it. So all of my life I'm alive. All of my life when I'm living... Uh, Al-Quran is sitting on my shelf and then when I die they'll pull it off, off the shelf and, and recite some hayat on me and when I'm already dead and then it will go back on the shelf so Quran comes out only in the celebrations and in the times of death when there's marriage we recite Fatiha when somebody dies Surah Yasin and that's all what the book of Allah is used for for marriage and death Subhanallah, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the moving force, was the moving force behind the early Muslims. What made a Sahaba different? It was Quran. Quran, nothing else. Nothing else. It was Quran. Quran completely changed them from people who were at the lowest levels and it made them the role models of humanity. It was Quran that was the power that turned them into this great nation. It was the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it will do the same to us if we have tadabbur. So we need to have tadabbur of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. An example of, of how Quran was studied by Mujahid. Mujahid is one of the mufassirin of Quran. Mujahid arad al-Quran ala ibn Abbas in thalatha maratin yastawqifahu inda kulli ayatin yas'aluhu anha. Yastawqifahu inda kulli ayatin yas'aluhu anha. Mujahid, he studied Qur'an with Ibn Abbas. Mujahid is one of the mufassirin of Qur'an. If you ever study the book of Tafsir, you'll always find his name. He was a student of Ibn Abbas. And it says that he studied Qur'an with Ibn Abbas three times. Going over every ayah and asking him questions about every single ayah in Qur'an. Mujahid says, I would stop Ibn Abbas after every ayah asking him about its meanings. And he did this 
uh, three times. Living the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having it very serious or taking it very serious in our life, first of all, it, it demands that we love the book of Allah. If you read and recite and are feeling that it is, uh, that you don't have that attachment to it, then a person might not get the benefit. And that could be understood from the saying of Uthman ibn Affan. He says, لَوْ صَفَتِ الْقُلُوبِ مَا شَبِعَتْ مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ He says, if the hearts are pure, they will never satisfy their hunger from the book of Allah. You'll always want more. If we love the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will never be able to have enough. So Abdullah ibn Umar, when uh, his servant was asked about his ibadah, one of the tabi'in, the tabi'in, they studied the lives of the Sahaba عنهم, to emulate them, to follow their footsteps. So this tabi'i, he learned about Abdullah ibn Umar, he studied with him, but he wanted to know how his life was in private. What does Abdullah ibn Umar do at home? So he asked the servant of Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, what did Abdullah ibn Umar do when he was in the privacy of his home? The answer was simple. No sophistication, no complication. He said, He would go to prayers and recite Quran in between. That's his life. Very easy and simple. If he wasn't doing business, or he wasn't in jihad, in Rabat, because Abdullah ibn Umar spent 12 years in Rabat in the areas of Azerbaijan and Armenia. Uh, if he was at home, this is what he would do. He would go home, recite Quran and wait for Salah. That's his life. Living with Quran. I mean, I kind of find that very difficult as a comparison when you look at the life of Abdullah ibn Umar and our lives when months would pass and we wouldn't even open the book of Allah. And for Abdullah ibn Umar, his life would revolve around the book of Allah. Reciting Qur'an all throughout the day. Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu anhu, said, لَوْ صَفَتِ الْقُلُوبِ مَا شَبَعَتْ مِنْ كَلَامِ اللَّهِ If the hearts are pure, they're never going to satisfy their hunger from the book of Allah. He would start in Qiyamul Layl, reciting Qur'an, in two rak'ah, and the night would be over and he's still going on reciting Qur'an. And I don't, uh, and, and when you imagine, I mean, standing up in, in two rak'ah and reciting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how many hours is it taking him per rak'ah? Four or five hours? Allah alam. But I would assure you that he wouldn't be feeling pain or, or any boredom because of the involvement with the book of Allah. It would be very easy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would make it easy on him. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would stab up in salah and his feet would swell and they would become sore and injured because of standing up all night. And his wife Aisha would come to him and say, why don't you rest? Didn't Allah forgive for you all of your sins? You don't have to do this. You don't have to go through this pain. Allah has already forgiven for you your sins. What did Rasulullah say? Shouldn't I be a grateful servant? And Rasulullah was so involved in his ibadah, he wouldn't be feeling that pain. He had love for Salah. He said, The most beloved thing in this world to me is standing in Salah. That would be the best moments of my life. So what we need is to develop this relationship with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take it serious. And by the way, in our study, let's not get distracted from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's good to study different Islamic sciences. But let's not get distracted from studying the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we would study everything but Qur'an. And then we would think that we're studying Islamic studies. And if you're not studying the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it would be problematic to call that an Islamic curriculum. So we have to emphasize on Qur'an. We have to emphasize on Qur'an. And then have a, 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 a comprehensive understanding of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only on the individual level, but also in the way we we perceive and view the world. Let me give you one example before I close. The Sahaba, عنهم, they recited Qur'an. And that was the only source of knowledge for them. They didn't know anything else. Before, before Islam, they were illiterate people. Ignorant. 
They knew nothing. I mean, take for example, Umar bin Khattab. What was his knowledge? Umar bin Khattab once he was seen, he was seen uh, laughing and then crying. So they, uh, they told him, why are you laughing and why are you crying? He said, I, I laughed and I cried because I remembered my days of Jahiliyyah. I laughed because I remember the day I was traveling and I forgot to take my God with me, an idol. They had some portable idols that they would take with them and travel, small idols. They would have the big, huge idols in Mecca, but then they had some portable ones they would take in their backpacks with them when they're traveling. So Umar bin Khattab, he forgot to take this small idol with him. And when it was time for him, he felt that he wanted to do some worship. He remembered that he forgot to bring an idol along. So he, what he did is he took his food, dates, and he molded them into a form of an idol. And he made sujood to it. Dates, and he made sujood to an idol made out of tamr. And then after a while he became hungry. So he ate his god. He had it for dinner. He said, that, that's why I was laughing. He said, that's why I was laughing. They told him, why were we crying? He said, well, the reason why I'm crying is that I remembered the day when I buried my daughter alive. He said, I, I, after I prepared the grave for her, some dirt came on my beard. So my daughter cleaned my beard for me before I threw her in her grave. And he cried. He laughed and he cried when he was a Muslim. Because as a Muslim... These are things that made him laugh and cry. But without Islam it wasn't funny and it wasn't sad. It was normal. Without Islam, m- making sujood to dates and then eating that God was absolutely fine and acceptable. And without Islam, killing his daughter alive was something acceptable. It was Islam who changed him. It was Quran that changed Umar al-Khattab. So the Sahaba had nothing without Qur'an. They, they didn't have any former education. They didn't go into any universities. They, they didn't learn anything. They were illiterate. What they were after Islam was what they learned from the book of Allah. Umm Haram. Umm Haram, the mother of Anas ibn Malik. She studied Qur'an. And she realized that this religion is going to spread and there is going to be jihad in al-barri wal-bahr. There is going to be struggle in the, faith, in, the, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on land and in the sea. So she went to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and said, I want to be one of those who will go fi sabillah in the sea. I want to be with them. And for them that is something that is uh, really abnormal because people from Mecca and Medina, they never traveled in the sea. Remember, they're in a, in, a, in a peninsula in the middle of a desert. Uh, and they had no, subhanAllah, the Arabs had no navy. They had no, they didn't even have any commercial trade through the sea. It was the, their trade was with Yemen and with Asham. That's it. All inland. The ones who had experience with the oceans and with sea were the ones on the coastal areas. And none of the Sahaba lived in these coastal areas. So she said, I want to be one of those who will go in jihad fil bahr Rasulullah made dua for her that she will be with them. And she was with the ones who went in the early jihad in the sea in the time of Al-Khilaf Al-Amawiyah, in the time of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. But she understood, she understood that this religion and by studying the ayat of Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has Subjected the sea to us. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu alladhi sakhara lakum al-bahr. Allah has subjected the sea to you. Even though she never went on board a ship in her life, but she understood by just reading Quran, that one day this religion will spread through the sea. And that Allah has subjected the sea to us. Allahu alladhi sakhara lakum al-bahr. لِتَجْرِيَ الْفُلْكُ فِيهِ بِأَمْرِهِ وَلِتَبْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Allah is the one who subjected the sea to you so that the ships will, uh, uh, will sail therein with His command and that you may receive of His bounties and be grateful. 
Now in the world, there are 20 or 30,000 ships sailing in the oceans of the world. The oceans make up eight tenths of the surface of the face of the earth. And not one of these ships, not one, is manufactured by Muslims. Not even one. Among all of these 20 or 30,000 ships or vessels sailing in the oceans, not one submarine belongs to Muslims. So where are we from the understanding of Qur'an that Allah has made tasheer of the sea for us? Where are we from that? Where is our understanding of Qur'an? When the Sahaba understood this and they were people who had no involvement whatsoever with the ocean, but they immediately established a navy and they established commercial fleets and they... Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan in the Sham was the one who established all of this. He's the founder of the Islamic Navy and also the Islamic commercial fleet that then became the dominant commercial force all over the world for a few centuries in terms of navy and in terms of commercial trading. So it is clear that we are quite far away from, uh, from having the right understanding of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us fiqh and understanding in his religion. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to benefit us all. So Australia, you have three or four questions. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi Okay, the first question is, uh, you mentioned that the Qur'an will be read without understanding. But I saw some people in some countries who can't read and write their own language but have been taught to read the Qur'an. So they only read the Qur'an in Arabic without actually understanding anything. So the first question is, would they get any benefit from doing this? And the second, how do you suggest we improve this situation? I think that's a very important question. Uh, not everybody understands Arabic, but still people would love to recite the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so they do so without understanding the meaning. There is ajr, there is ajr in doing that. There is ajr in doing that. Even if you do not understand the meaning. Kitabullah yuta'abbadu bitilawati. It is a form of ibadah to just recite the Quran without understanding. And maybe an evidence that we could uh, uh, find for that Rasulullah says, if you recite one letter in Quran, one letter in Quran, you would receive how many hasanat? How many? Ten. Right? And the Rasulullah said that Alif Lam Mim is not letter, one letter, but Alif is a letter, Lam is a letter, and Mim is a letter. And this is the opening of surah, of some surah in Quran, like Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran. They start with these three alphabetic letters, Alif, Lam, Mim. So Rasulullah is saying by just reciting Alif, you will receive ten hasanat. If you recite Lam, ten hasanat. If you recite Mim, ten hasanat. Now what does Alif, Lam, Mim mean? Even for the Arabic speakers, the majority will not understand what Alif, Lam, Mim means. And for Rasulullah to specifically say that by reciting Alif Lam Mim you're receiving 30 hasanat, this is talking about something that the majority of the people have no clue what it means. Because it is of the ayat of uh, Quran that even the Mufassirin try to grapple with its meaning. And this is an evidence that by just reciting Quran there is an ajr. Now, ajr. And recitation of Qur'an is something. And then applying Qur'an is something else. Whether you learn Arabic or you don't, whether you know it or you don't, that should not be an excuse from not applying Qur'an. And there are translations and there are books of tafsir for one to learn how to apply the book of Allah. The problem is when the information is available and one does not make an attempt to learn it and apply it. Uh, so even if a person does not understand the language of Qur'an, they will still need to recite it to get the ajr and need to apply it. And the application, as I said, uh, can be done uh, without understanding the language. However, the tadabbur, the contemplation, the contemplation in the meanings of Qur'an 
is something that can be done by reciting the or reading the translation, but it's always going to be less and it will be shallower than the contemplation of Al-Quran itself. Therefore, attempts need to be made by people to learn the language of Quran. And if we put a lot of effort to learn the language of dunya, English, which opens for us doors of opportunity in this world, and it is uh, spoken all over the world, and it is the language of the internet, and the language of business, and language of it's language of dunya today. If we put effort in learning it, shouldn't we put effort in learning the language of akhirah? So let's put effort in learning the language of Quran, and Allah subhanahu wa taala will reward you for your intentions. Ibn Jawzi says, "Yujaru al-insanu ala ama ala niyati." قد يؤجر الإنسان على نيته أكثر مما يؤجر على عمله. Maybe Allah will reward you for the intentions more than the reward of the action itself. So if you put the effort, try. That's what Allah wants from you. Next question. Okay, question number two. What do you say to those people who say that we don't have to understand the Quran on the way of the Sahaba, but we can understand it by our own way? The ayah that uh, I recited earlier <coughs> can uh, be an evidence to uh, refute that claim. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed the book to you. So the book was revealed to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Actually it's another ayah that I had in mind. It's the ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says We revealed the book to you so that you would explain it to the people. So the explanation of Qur'an came through who? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And who were the direct students of Rasulullah? As-Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Therefore, As-Sahaba are the uh, example of the ideal generation that applied Qur'an. And uh, studying their lives and studying the hadith of Rasulullah is necessary to understand Quran. And uh, any book without an actual example uh, will not be understood. I mean, the ayat of Quran. Uh, if we would not take the interpretations or the explanations of Rasulullah sallallahu and if we would not look at how the Khulafa anhum understood the ayat of Quran, we would have a lot of differences of opinion in understanding the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the Arabic language is, is, is a very rich uh, language and you would have one word that could have 10 or 15 or 20 meanings. How would we understand the right meaning if we do not go back and look into the life of Rasulullah and the life of the Sahaba to understand the meaning of it? One example would be the ayah. In addition to that, you would also, many ayat were dealing with situations that happened then. So we need to understand the environment and the circumstances in which the ayah was revealed. Uh, the example that I was going to give is, وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى تَهْلُكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and do not be the causes of your own destruction. Do not be the causes of your own destruction. Uh, there was a battle between the uh, uh, Muslims and the Romans. So one uh, Muslim soldier broke off from the Muslim army and he suddenly ran towards the Romans. And he just jumped in their army alone. So some of the Muslim soldiers who saw that, they said, This man was the cause of his own destruction, because he ended up being killed. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, he said, you do not understand this ayah. This is not what the ayah is talking about. This ayah is talking about us, al-Ansar. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Muhammad sallallahu victory, we said now, since Allah has given victory to his prophet, we can go back to our farms and to our businesses. We can go back and cultivate our land and take care of our business 
since Rasulullah has now won. Because Al Ansar anhum, their sacrifice demanded uh, a lot from them, and their businesses were suffering, their farms were suffering. So now they said it's time to go back and take care of business. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah telling them that if you do so, you are going to be causing yourself destruction. By going back to your lands and to your businesses and leaving Rasulullah even though he won, you shouldn't leave him alone. You shall still be with him. And your sacrifice should continue. He said this is the meaning of the ayah. So he's giving us the right understanding of the ayah, which we would not have like these soldiers did it. Next question. Okay, the third question. Um, we've got a few questions which ask, uh, what books would you recommend to study the Qur'an, in particular for those brothers and sisters who do not understand uh, Arabic? Uh, I think I'm the wrong person to ask regarding that question, because all of my reading regarding Qur'an is in Arabic. So I'll talk about what I know. I'll talk about the Arabic books. <laughs> Uh, there is uh, different types of tafsir. There is a tafsir bil ma'thur. Al ma'thur is using the ayat of Quran, the ahadith of Rasulullah and the sayings of a salaf to explain the ayat of Quran. That's called a tafsir bil ma'thur. And the most famous books of tafsir in this regard are Al Tabari, Ibn Kathir, and Al Shawkani. Ibn Kathir, his tafsir is actually a more of a summarized version of At-Tabari, where he tried to avoid Al-Israeliyat, which At-Tabari has uh, used a lot of. Al-Israeliyat are the stories of the people of the book. However, Ibn Kathir, even though he did not use them as extensively as At-Tabari did, but he still, he still used some of their narrations. Al-Shawkani, uh, his, uh, his tafsir, combines the tafsir bil-ma'thur in addition to linguistic issues. He also looks into that. Uh, books of tafsir that emphasize on fiqh Al-Jama' Al-Ahkam Al-Quran by Al-Qurtubi This is a book that emphasizes on issues of fiqh in Quran uh, Linguistic meanings Zad Al-Masir by Ibn Al-Jawzi Ibn Al-Jawzi has a tafsir called Zad Al-Masir And it's very good in looking into the meanings of the words Or the various meanings of the vocabulary of Quran uh, And then when it comes to thoughts and ideas about Quran which might not necessarily fall into the category of tafsir, but it's more of a contemplation on Qur'an. You would have Fidhlal al-Qur'an by Sayyid Qutb and uh, Tafhim al-Qur'an by al-Mawdudi. In fact, I have a quote with me here from uh, the uh, Tafhim al-Qur'an. Uh, he says, Tafhim al-Qur'an is translated in English, by the way. It should be remembered, nevertheless, that full appreciation... This is, this is quite an interesting quote. He says, it should be remembered, nevertheless that full appreciation of the spirit of the Qur'an demands practical involvement with the struggle to fulfill its mission. The Qur'an is neither a book of abstract theories and cold doctrines which the reader can grasp while seated in a cozy armchair, nor is it merely a religious book like other religious books, the secrets of which can be grasped in seminaries and oratories. On the contrary, it is the blueprint and guidebook of a message, of a mission, of a movement. As soon as the book was revealed, it drove a quiet, kind-hearted man from his isolation and seclusion and placed him upon the battlefield of life to challenge a world that has gone astray. It inspired him to raise his voice against falsehood and pitted him in a grim struggle against the standard bearers of unbelief, of disobedience to God, of waywardness and error. I think that what he says here that uh, the Qur'an is neither a book of abstract theories and cold doctrines which the reader can grasp while seated in a cozy armchair. You know, Qur'an, the reason why the Sahaba, their understanding of Qur'an was unique is because they were living the events. They were living the da'wah. For somebody who is not involved in da'wah, for somebody who is not involved in the struggle, the understandings of Qur'an will not be appreciated. I mean, I could sit now on a, on a, on a cozy uh, couch, like Al-Mawdidi says, and, and, and read all of Qur'an and recite it and try to think about it and contemplate about it, but I will not appreciate it like somebody who is living the events. And I, can, I, I, I cannot uh, 
recall an example that would relate into this directly, but something indirectly. For example, the issue of the qadr of Allah in destiny. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says death will not come ahead and it will not be delayed. The time of death is fixed. And we can talk about this concept of destiny and I can give you a lecture about it for a whole hour. About how death is destined by Allah and you cannot live one minute past your time and you will not die one minute ahead of your time. In fact, I could give you a series of lectures about it. But there's one incident that can be worth all of these lectures. It can be worth a thousand words. A brother told me about an example that happened in, uh, in, in Chechnya. Actually, it was in Bosnia. There was... Two brothers were in a, a trench. And the missile, the Serbs threw a missile and it landed between them. It landed between these two. And it exploded, and it, uh, this brother, the person next to him, his brother next to him, was tore apart. He just blew up. I mean, this missile just tore him into pieces. And he wasn't even scratched. Nothing happened to him. Nothing at all. This man saw death in front of his eyes. He saw his brother blow into pieces. And he was the same distance away from this missile as the brother who died. Now give this brother a hundred lectures about Al-Qadr. It's not going to be worth this one single incident which happened in front of his eyes. So experience sometimes has a, such a, a, a great effect on a person. The Sahaba, ayat, we're talking about them. In Ghazwat Al-Khandaq, we recite, we recite those ayat that were describing the feelings of the Sahaba. زَاغَتْ الْأَبْصَارُ وَبَلَغَتْ الْقُلُوبِ الْحَنَاجِرُ وَتَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ ظُنُونَ Your hearts are pounding in your chests. And your eyes are scattered. They were in a state of, of, of fear and, and shock. Uh, but we will never appreciate, we will never appreciate the feelings that they went through. Unless we go through something similar. And, uh, and that's why people who who are in the area of da'wah, they are the ones who appreciate the stories of the Anbiya, the stories of the du'a and Qur'an, which the Qur'an talks about in detail. I mean, somebody is going through suffering and difficulty will understand the story of Nuh. Understand somebody who's living in an environment of corruption and perversion will understand this, the struggle of Lut, alayhi salam. But somebody who's sitting on a comfortable couch away from all of the struggle and away from the real world is just really studying theory. Wallah. Uh, one more question, Sean. Go ahead. Okay, uh, what is the best way to learn to read or recite the Qur'an? Can we just play a cassette or a CD and then follow the reciter as we listen? Well, it would depend uh, whether the person does speak Arabic or not, uh, for somebody who doesn't, or even for somebody who's an Arabic speaker but is not at all familiar with Ahkam al-Tajweed, I would say that it's quite important in the beginning to learn with somebody who already knows the Ahkam, in the beginning, to set up the foundation and then after that uh, one could uh, go on their own. Uh, learning from a, a, a CD or a tape or a, a qara that is uh, well known, is good because uh, you would learn with the ahkam. But if you don't know the ahkam yourself, you might even memorize it wrong from a CD or a tape. I mean, you might hear something differently and memorize it the wrong way. So it's important, at least in the initial stages, to uh, set a course of study with somebody who is familiar with, uh, with tajweed. After that, uh, yes, I, I mean, I know of people who memorize Qur'an by just listening to tapes in their car uh, while they're commuting to work. People can memorize the whole book by just listening to tapes. So uh, let's uh, make good use of our time when we, are in, uh, when we are commuting back and forth to work. Let's make use of it in listening to something that will benefit us. Brother Muhammad is uh, 
Jazallah uh, reminding me that there is a tafsir of Ibn Kathir that is in English. Uh, it's an abridged version of Ibn Kathir. It's published by Dar Salam. And uh, it's, uh, it just came out recently. Uh, so, inshallah ta'ala, that could be of help for you in your study of Quran. So, uh, get a copy and study it. Yeah, the question is about uh, ruling with Quran and the fact that the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not applied now on the, uh, the level of, of governments and the globalization effort of the separation of church and state. Uh, so what's the position uh, of the Muslims uh, about this? Uh, the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our law and it should affect our life in every aspect. Social life, in our ibadat, and political and economical life. Quran is a book. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. It's not limited to the spiritual aspect. And that is something that we have to struggle with now uh, because uh, as you mentioned the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not applied. But in the same time uh, we don't want to always try to find a scapegoat to uh, blame our problems on. Uh, I don't necessarily see that the, the problem is only the governments in the Muslim world. Governments in the Muslim world are a product of us. Uh, your situation will determine the situation of the ones who are ruling you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish us by oppressive governments if we deserve something better. Because we believe that Allah is just. Therefore, as individuals, we have to have a balance of Yes, making da'wah to everybody else, but in the same time also living Qur'an as an individual. Establishing Qur'an in my own life, in my family. And giving da'wah also to the whole society and to the government and to everybody that we need the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be al-hakim, the judge over us. The laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be dominant. Yes, the question is that uh, the brother is saying that in Somalia we, we, we memorize Quran and we are able to read the, the Arabic. However, we uh, don't understand it. So what is the advice in that situation? Uh, still, you could use the references that exist in your language or in English or any other language that you understand. And in the time being, try to understand, try to learn the Arabic itself because you have already uh, established the foundation of learning the alphabet and the ability to recite it and that in itself is an achievement because we're dealing with an alphabet that is completely different than any other alphabet so the ability to write and, and, and read the Arabic alphabet is, is you, alhamdulillah you've already you're already done with the initial steps therefore all what is needed is to learn the grammar and the vocabulary but one should not wait until they learn the language to understand Quran now. I mean, we should still put attempt into understanding and reading whatever sources we have in the languages that we understand while we are studying the language of Quran concurrently. Could you still uh, add to my question? Um, the people who do not go by Quran, are they Catholics? What do they do to Muslims to do to make it better? I mean, can you overthrow these governments? The opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah that you mentioned is the opinion of every Muslim scholar worthy of knowledge. That whoever does not rule with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have left the fold of Islam. So that is an issue that is uh, not up for debate. Uh, now your question is how to deal with these Muslim governments. Uh, it is important that every community deals with its own issues. And as Muslims living in America, we have to deal with issues that are directly relating to our community, to our needs. The da'wah here, the establishment of institutions for Muslims here. If you were living in a certain Muslim country, then the answer would be different. But uh, uh, we should not theorize or hypothesize of what somebody should be doing in Afghanistan, or what should somebody should be doing in Egypt, or what somebody should be doing in a different country, 
when you as a person are not there. We should look into what is the need of Muslims right here and take care of those needs because there are Muslims there that will take care of the needs in that particular area. Umar ibn Khattab anhu, to show you how, how serious this concept is that one should deal with the actual situations that are happening. A man came to Umar ibn Khattab, he traveled all the way from Yemen and he came to Umar ibn Khattab and he said, I have this question for you and he, told, and he asked him the question. Umar ibn Khattab said, did this happen? Did this situation you're talking about happen? So the man said, no. Umar al-Khattab said, well, go back to Yemen. When it happens, come back. And I'll gather for you all of the Sahaba who were in Badr, and we'll discuss and then give you an answer to it. Uh, we learn from this two things. Number one, that Umar al-Khattab was not willing to waste time in something hypothetical. If it relates to us, we'll take care of it. Doesn't come back to me when it happens. That's number one. Number two, Fatwa is not something easy. And Umar ibn Khattab, the scholar of Islam, he did not say, I will give the answer. He said, I will gather all of the Sahaba, not just the Sahaba, who, not the Sahaba who became Muslim in Fatih Mecca or in Khaybar, or the Sahaba who were in Badr, the best of the Sahaba. I'll see who, are, who of them is still alive, and we'll make a council. And we're going to discuss this question, and then give you an answer. What the Muslim governments are doing is corrupt, it's false. They have misled the Ummah, they have misguided the Ummah, but our problems here need to be taken care of. We are living, just like the brothers are in Australia, are living in predominantly non-Muslim societies. Uh, we have a certain extent of freedom. Allah alam how much freedom we still have and for how long it will still continue, but at least now we do have some. We have the freedom of organizing, of establishing institutions, and we have not done that. We're still stuck with issues that we should have taken care of a long time ago. Issues of mortgage, we're still asking about. How come we did not establish Islamic banks that would finance, that would establish, or that would provide halal financing for the Muslim community? How come we're still dealing with the halal and haram meat issue and we have not taken care of that long time ago? Issues that are coming up again and again the Muslim community does have the ability to organize and institutionalize the work and take care of those problems and confront them. We have not done it. Why? Because we're dealing with hypothetical situations and we are not taking care of our problems. Uh, there's, uh, there's a saying that by Bernard Lewis. He said, uh, uh, whenever a community is, is afflicted with a problem, whenever a problem happens to some people, uh, they have two ways of dealing with it. Number one is to ask, who did this to us? And the second is to ask, why did this happen to us? He said, if the people ask, who did this to us? Then they will spend their time trying to find an enemy to blame for their own problems. But if they ask themselves the question, why did this happen to us? Then they will end up looking into their own weaknesses and then they will find the solution to what is happening to them. As a Muslim community living in the West, I think we need to take care of, of our issues and, and take advantage of the, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us in terms of wealth, in terms of skills, in terms of knowledge, and in terms of limited forms of freedom to deal with some serious issues that we have here. Uh, brothers and sisters, the role of the Anbiya is da'wah. The role of the Anbiya is to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are about 6 to 8 million Muslims in America. And whenever you make a survey on the non-Muslim American people, the answers would come out that 90% of them or more have little or no knowledge about Islam. What are we doing? Rasulullah alone was giving the da'wah to, uh, to, to all of Mecca and spreading it all over Arabia, and then spreading it to the world. So we have some priorities that we have to deal with. We have to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Anbiya of Allah, their method of da'wah, was to confront the actual situation, the actual problem that the people are dealing with. And this is very difficult. When you point out the mistakes of the people, people don't like that. People don't like that. So it's always easy and convenient 
to talk about somebody else's problems because then the people like to hear that. If I stand up now and give a khutbah about the kufr of the Muslim governments, people are going to love it. In America, if I give such a khutbah, people are going to love that khutbah. And it's very easy to do. I mean, I could stand up on the mimbar and say all of those are kuffar. I could do that because I'm in, I'm in America. Who's going to prevent me from doing that? All of those kings and presidents are kuffar. It's easy to do. But then what's the benefit for the people? But if I start talking to the congregation about their own problems, it's going to make a person very unpopular and they're not going to like to hear it. But that is the da'wah of the NBA. Whether we like it or not, that is what the NBA did. Lut was telling the people that what you're doing is wrong. Lut could have told his people about what Shu'aib was telling his people. He could have told them, why aren't you fair in business? Look at the people of Madian, they're, they're, they're cheating in business. And he would be, Lut would be very popular among his people if he did that. Because he's telling them about the evil of the neighboring, the neighboring state. He would be very popular. But he didn't do that. He talked to them about the things that they did not want to hear. Their provision. He talked to them about homosexuality. He talked to them about the evil that they're doing. And they didn't want to hear that. Shu'aib, he did not talk to his people about fornication and adultery. What did Shu'aib talk about? Their evil transactions in business. Tatfif al-Mizan. And the people were very upset with that. They said, What does your prayer, what does religion have to do with business? Why didn't you stick to religion? Why didn't you just talk about spiritual issues? How come you're getting into business? That's what they were saying. This is an old form of secularism. Secularism is not something that existed today. Secularism existed from the time of Shaib. The people of Shaib were secular. They said, keep the prayer and the religion separate from business. Don't talk about business. So let's take care of what we need here. We have enough problems to deal with. Uh, there's a question from the uh, sisters. Can you tell us the ruling, if any, on hanging ayat on walls and homes, mosques, etc.? I've heard that this is inappropriate. Is this true? According to my knowledge, I, I don't know that it's uh, uh, inappropriate. I think maybe the reason why you might have heard that it's inappropriate because of the issue that we talked about. It's uh, very symbolic, but Quran should be uh, used for the benefit. What can a non-Arab parent do for a child age four who recites Quran but is mixing ayat and making up verses as they go <laughs> because they want to recite? How do you stop them without discouraging them? I think that's easy. You could tell the child that this is the word of Allah. You should not tamper with it. Don't just make up Ayat to keep the flow. If you don't know, there's no shame in saying that I need your help. Uh, let them be honest and uh, learn that when it comes to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if uh, they don't know the ayah, they should stop and ask for some help. Kids who are, who are under the age of responsibility, uh, we shouldn't be very uh, particular. Uh, about the way they recite the Quran or the ayat or the hadith. We should, we should do our best in trying to teach them the right way. But, I mean, uh, uh, they, could, uh, they could make mistakes and uh, that is, I would say, acceptable based on the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the man who lost his camel. And he went around searching for his camel. And he was so upset because now he's lost in the middle of the desert and his transportation is lost. And then his camel comes back. So what did he say? He said, uh, He said, you're my servant and I'm your Lord. He made a mistake. He made a mistake rather than saying that I'm your servant and you're my Lord. He said, I'm your Lord and you're my servant. This statement is shirk. The statement itself is shirk. But uh, Rasulullah said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves when his servant repents. Just like this man is happy when his camel came back. 
This man was so happy when his camel came back, he made this mistake and he said, I'm your Lord and you're my servant. So the statement itself is, 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 is shirk. So if somebody makes a, a mistake in Quran that would change the meaning or so and their, and their kids, if you can interfere and fix it, that's fine. If you're not able to understand what they're saying, let them recite and let them make the attempt. They'll grow up and they'll learn it right. But they should never be discouraged from reading the book of Allah. Wallah. The question is, what are the steps in contemplating Quran and applying it in our lives? How, we, how do we go about doing that? First of all, the intention, intention to change the method we approach Quran is an important self, step in itself. Just the decision and the will to recite the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with understanding. Oh Allah, I want to understand your book and I'm going to put the attempt. This in itself will open up the doors for you. Because there are elements of, uh, that are beyond our understanding when it comes to these issues. This is the word of Allah. This is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ اللَّهِ Have taqwa of Allah, Allah will teach you. When we have taqwa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up our hearts and will give us light in our hearts from His knowledge. So just having that intention is the first step. And then number two, whenever we're reciting the Qur'an, we should not focus on finishing the surah, finishing the juz, finishing Qur'an, but we should focus on thinking about the ayat when we're reciting them. Ibn Mas'ud, he says, one of you, when you recite Qur'an, you shouldn't be reciting it as if you are uh, dealing with vegetables. You know, when, the, uh, when a merchant is sorting out vegetables, they do it very fast. He said, that's not how you should approach Qur'an. He said, you shouldn't have the thought in mind, when am I going to finish? I'm just reading to finish Qur'an. I want to make a khatma. No. We should think about the ayat when we're going across. And uh, number three, constantly reciting. All the time reciting. The book of Allah, if you notice it, it's not divided into sections. This section is talking about law. This section is talking about stories. This section is talking about so-and-so. You find it all meshed together. Take, for example, an, uh, an ayah from, uh, from Surah At-Talaq. You'll find the ayah talking about family law. The ayah is talking about spiritual aspects. It's talking about akhirah. It's giving you a maw'adah, all in one. So when you are always close to Qur'an, in your recitation of Qur'an, you're going to necessarily find something that is relating to your particular day or your particular situation. Because the book of Allah is speaking to you. But we have to have that connection always established. Wallah And this happens sometimes to people, they would be going through situations and then suddenly they would hear an ayah as if this ayah is speaking directly to them. And it happened with some people when they heard the ayah أَلَمْ يَأْنِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنْ تَخْشَعَ قُلُوبُهُمْ لِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ Has not the time come for those who believe that their hearts with all humility should engage in the remembrance of Allah and the truth that was revealed. This ayah was talking to the believers who already believe, but it was telling them, isn't it time that you now humble yourselves and remember Allah? And some of the Sahaba were, were uh, surprised to hear this ayah. Because they, they, they thought that they're already believers and but they didn't know that even they needed this reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah. Yes. Um, when you're with the non-Muslims, uh, is it appropriate to, and you know, one of them asking for a copy of the Quran, uh, is it appropriate to indicate to them about the Tahara that they would be clean before they can read it or well first of all in our situation here 
You are dealing with people who will read it in English And that is not Quran It does not demand tahara It is not sufficient to read in salah All of the rules that apply to Quran Do not apply to the translation If you give them one that has the Arabic in it uh, the opinion of fiqh that I follow is the opinion that says that as long as the interpretation or the translation is the majority of the book, it does not count, it is not called a mushaf. If, like for example, because if we're going to apply the rule of tahara on everything that has an ayah of Allah, that would apply to every book. Every book of tafsir, every newspaper in Arabic has an ayah of Quran in it. So does that mean that we have to have tahara for every Arabic book that we have touch now? As long as the majority, over 50% of the book, is not the actual word of Qur'an, then it, is not, it does not count as a mushaf. It's a different book. And it does not demand tahara. There is a, even a better alternative to give out a translation that does not have the Arabic in it, which are available. سبحانك اللهم وحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك